spoke to a banker and I was like, okay, I want to start a brewery. I need probably close to a million dollars to start a brewery. She's like, oh, that's such a cute idea. (laughs) (laughs) That's so cute. Um, You need a proof of concept and you also need money. So go do those things and come back and talk to me. So that's exactly what I did. Hey, everyone. Welcome to In Progress with Motion Tactic. In this episode, Kyle and I talk with Megan Greenwood, the founder of Greenwood Brewing. Megan started out as an engineer working in large manufacturing companies, and after a demotivating corporate meeting, she decided to go out on her own and turn her microbrewing hobby into her career. She shares her experience finding her niche and how her personal experiences in the beer industry helped her to find a target demographic that is underserved and thirsty for great beer. We're huge fans of the beer over at Greenwood Brewing, so if you're in the downtown Phoenix area, we highly recommend that you give them a try. So without any further ado, let's jump in. Hello, everyone. Welcome to In Progress with Motion Tactic. Today in the studio, we have Megan Greenwood from Greenwood Brewing, and we are so excited to have you. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, so I had the opportunity to visit the brewery, um, I think two or three weeks ago now, and first thing is the aesthetic is locked in. Um, the The atmosphere is perfect. Uh, it's comfortable. And I, I don't want to call myself a beer snob because I think that that requires some level of real education to know what's going on with a beer. But I call myself kind of a beer snob and I really enjoyed your beers. Thank you. So good work there. <laughs> you were drinking them. You guys were meeting early in the morning. You're drinking beer at like 9.30 or something? No. Uh, so my wife, Deanne, and I uh, went okay. ahead of time to do a little bit of primary research. Got it. Okay. Yeah. If I was going to be able to smart. meet with you, I didn't want to kind of show up like, no, I haven't seen what you're doing. How's the beer? Is it good? Smart. That's a smart move. That's yeah. a sales move. That is a sales move. <laughs> Tyler's swooping in. Yeah. No. Get the meeting. So yeah. um, what we'd love to do is just like kind of hear about what you were doing before and all how all the pieces came together in order to uh, get you where you are in your career today. And then um, we like to talk about what your vision is going forward and what you're trying to do and then um, what you think it's going to take to get there. So yeah, if you want to get catch us up to like who you are and how you got where you are today. Cool. Sounds good. Yes. So I am Megan Greenwood, the owner of Greenwood Brewing, which uh, is obviously my last name. This is something, it's funny that I even introduced myself like that today because I would have never expected this was going to be my career even three years ago, maybe four years ago. Um, and now here we are. Uh, with a brick and mortar brewery downtown Phoenix on Fifth Street in Roosevelt. Come check us out. Uh, I'm where it started. So I, we were talking before we started about college. I'm actually an engineer. I worked for a lot of big name manufacturing companies like Whirlpool, Procter and Gamble, John Deere. My my most my most of my experience was with a company called Eaton, and. We manufactured major electrical equipment for every use, every use throughout the whole country. Um, I focused on solar and renewable energy, and I would sell solar to big, big utility sales scale solar projects. Um, 
And a lot of my customers were in Arizona. And so I moved from Boston to Arizona and uh, fell in love with the, the state of the sun. Yeah. And uh, it was, I, I bought a house in Chandler and I had a roommate because I was young and bought a house and I needed a roommate. <laughs> and he, uh, after about a year, he bought me a brewery kit for my birthday because he thought that I would really love brewing. And I was like, oh yeah, let's try it out. So a couple of weeks later, tried out the brewery kit and it was so much fun. And I loved making a product that put a smile on someone's face. And it was so much fun brewing it. It smelled so good. It was manufacturing, which is what I've been doing for the last yeah, 12 years. Interesting. But it was manufacturing a, a food a yeah. food and beverage product um, that's consumable. And so quickly that elevated, escalated to building a microbrewery in my garage, which was almost a one barrel brewery, if you know the beer terms. How much is that? Like gallons? It's um, about 30 gallons, 31 gallons. We were just under 30 gallons that we would that we would brew each every couple weeks. And uh, so my my roommate and I and my neighbor at the time were all brewing together. And it was a hobby, but it was more than a hobby. It was something that we took seriously. I took very seriously because we wanted to make a really good product. But then at the end, we'd have once the beer was done, we'd have a big dinner party and we have all of our friends over and we drink all the beer. And we were very popular back then. <laughs> um, and uh, so that it, I just loved it. I loved brewing. And I just had this idea that as a woman, even though I was brewing weekly or had this microbrewery in my garage and I had thousand, a thousand bottles literally along the wall in my garage, I still felt when I went into a craft beer location that I was not being, I was not the focus. I, whenever I went with a, a gentleman, it was always that, it always felt like he was the focus and I was kind of the sidekick. Yeah, um, he's going to choose the beer for you right exactly yeah right um and I wanted to know if women felt this way and I also I just had this idea it was a shower idea which are the best ideas I think and it was like thinking having thinking about a woman as a consumer of beer and having that be the focus of a brand and I proposed this to my two male um hobbyists with and they thought I was crazy and did not want to do that. Um, but they also, they we kind of all s split our separate ways after a while anyway. And I just could not get this idea out of my head. And I um, I remember going, I went to a coach just because I was so foggy. It's like mid-20s, you know, you're like so foggy. You don't know what you want to do. And she was like, gosh, Megan, you, you need to brew beer. This is what you need to do. And I was like making really good money in my corporate job, very secure, had a company car, all the benefits, living the high life-ish in um, in Arizona. And I was like, you think I'm going to quit all this and start a brewery? You're, you're crazy. Uh, but it just never left my mind. So I was like, you know what? I, I, I put my house up on a vacation rental. I moved to downtown Phoenix, which was just the creative, I felt like was the creative hub. And I loved the community downtown. I just, I love the energy of downtown. 
moved to downtown Phoenix and just kind of started just exploring and then uh, realized that this was something I needed to really dive into. And so I started this more of a marketing company first to to dig into my customer, potential customer base and understand what they want and to also see if do women feel this way too or is it just me? Um, is there is there a customer base out there for for this company? And uh, I found I started that in February of 2017 and I pretty much did market research that whole year up until August, September. And I found that over over half of the women that I had interviewed and surveyed, I'd surveyed over 200 women, that they felt underrepresented in the beer industry. And the Brewers Association, which is our major association in, in the United States, also was conducting similar research. So, And they were finding the same thing. And so I was like, you know what? This is... I this now it's proven, you know, I've done this research. Now it's proven. I know there's a market for this. I know women want somebody to represent them. I know they want to feel included. Uh, I need to start. And so uh, I, in, in 2017, I started contract brewing. I found a brewery that had excess capacity that was willing to put my brand underneath their microbrewers license, which was so wild, such a risk for them. And uh, I started contract brewing side gig for two years um, and then found my location. We can talk about that later, but found the location. Um, the project took me a total of three years to build. Um two years to build the actual f- physical brewery. It's a new build in downtown. Um, and uh, here we are, 2020, July 18th is when we opened. Middle of COVID. Smack Great time. In the middle of <laughs> the <open>. global pandemic. <laughs> to open a physical brick and mortar. Really good timing. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I quit my job in 2018. Uh, went full in and... Um, yeah, and now living living the the once a dream. So here we are. So okay, it's awesome. This is a wonderful story, and I I, <laughs> I love how all this progresses. But I feel like it's a little bit abnormal um, to spend so much time on market research. And I, I I wonder like was that instinct for you, or was that given to you as like guidance? Like you should take that and really run with it before you invest time and money into building a business? No, it was not. Um, I actually hired a marketing firm, um, Radiant Marketing in Queen Creek, and they really made me realize how important market research was. So they actually helped me conduct the research. And uh, But I, once we, once that was the... Now I understand it and see it, but as a marketing as because marketing now is half my business, more than half the business. Um, but then, you know, we, they were talking to me about avatars and my ideal client. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is exactly what I'm doing. And my, even my sales role at the time, but, um, I didn't realize it. Like no one has ever given me these, like these, titles before and um and I'm a data person and so it was like oh yeah I definitely want that information before we even start uh so even for example this year we're not we are not advertising I'm not spending a single dollar on advertising for the first year just to see our organic our organic sales and the brewery uh and I've 
told all of my close friends that want me to advertise with them like no this is you know but but that's it's so important and i they they really helped me see that so it's actually a marketing company yeah that's really interesting i feel like it's super wise because you have a lot of confidence making decisions when you know who your customer is for sure right and okay so the the theory that women were underrepresented in the brewery space mm-hmm. um when did that become apparent to you was that like a hypothesis that you just formed on your own like I feel underrepresented mm-hmm. and then you kind of validated that yes cool. yes I felt that first and then it made sense once you look into brewery owners 78% of brewery owners are men only so and and that's not like it's not I'm not saying that as it's a bad thing or a good thing it's just the reality and so when you think about the consumer when you think about who you are kind of targeting as a consumer just off the like off the cuff you're kind of thinking about yourself if you're not doing that research and you're not targeting somebody specifically you're kind of thinking about yourself so to have 78 percent of men owning the breweries in the country it made sense that they're going to target men as their customer that's who they are and uh, then 20 percent of the rest of the breweries were owned by women and men so either husband and wife teams or and then 2% of breweries in America were owned by women only. Two. Whoa. So it was wild to me. So that, and then it just like, that just val like, it was just kind of validation after validation. And that women felt that they weren't being marketed to. Women felt that they weren't being um, kind of included in any decisions around beer or even that what they wanted wasn't being considered. And, and women being craft beer drinkers, um, they were either on the fe- on the side of I have to act like a man, or I, or I, I everyone thinks that I care about calories, and it was like one or the other. It wasn't like women drink craft beer and appreciate craft beer just as much as the next person or the next man. Like that wasn't ever their. Con- they kind of felt they were in either in one of the two boats. And or they had to be they had to conform to one of those two boats. And so um, there wasn't like a middle space for them to be like, oh, yeah, that brewery thinks of me as a customer. That brewery is thinking of me as a woman consumer of beer and they're making the beer thinking about me. They're they're labeling that beer. They're creating that environment. They're creating that customer service and customer interaction thinking about a woman. Um yeah, and I and I I I felt I have found even now today we we get a lot of women that say the same thing that come in and they're like, gosh, I can tell you're like this is my space. You're making this for me. Like I can tell there's a woman's touch on here, and that's who you're targeting. And we, I mean, I love having men in my space. Don't get me wrong. I know that by thinking about her, I will also think about him. They're going to go hand in hand. But I don't know that that's the same in the opposite, that if I'm thinking about him, I'm thinking about her. Yeah. So Yeah, and there's a balance to it. And I, I personally, I would endorse that you've struck that balance because as I went there as a man, like you get these really positive feelings about a brand, um, like a, a nice coffee shop or a nice bistro when you get there and everything feels really intentional and everything feels well thought out. And um, I think in the beer space, like, not everybody was looking for that intentionally. It's almost like an iPad. 
Like people like didn't realize how much they would love one until they had it. But like plenty of men would be happy to go to a dive bar. But I think walk into Greenwood Brewing and be like, oh, this is great too. This mm -hmm. is something I didn't know I was interested in was a really well put together, intentional um, beer drinking atmosphere. I think, I don't know. I, I'm going to keep saying it over and over and over. You did a great job on the design of the space. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's all marketing, not it's all, it, it stems from marketing and thinking about how do I want, we talked about this when we met, but how do I want that person to feel when they come in? And we use a certain scent when we clean because it's, and it's all organic and it smells delicious. And because I want everybody that walks in our door to remember that smell and be like, wow, it smells clean. It smells fresh. It's, I can tell that the energy is pure in here and that's intentional. That's something, and that's not just intentional um, in general, that's intentional because women also care about those details a lot. We talked about dive bars and I, I, I do love a good dive bar, but that's pretty rare for a woman to love a good dive my wife hates a dive bar yeah. there are many dive bars where i'm like can we go to blank i don't want to like yeah make someone yeah, sound bad because i i love dive bars but then my wife will say like no i i don't feel safe there yes or it feels dirty and i don't want to touch the bar yes well, exactly those are fair the fair statements but i'm i'm good with my arm sticking to the bar <laughs> i'm okay with that so i know my brother's <laughs> the same way and he, and he loves a good dive bar but but a lot of women, a lot of women don't. And a lot of women are paying attention to those details. She needs it. And obviously COVID really just totally exponentially makes this apparent. This like the cleanliness of your space is very visible right now. Yep. But um, but even before that, it was if she doesn't feel safe, if she doesn't feel clean, it, that it's clean. If she doesn't feel that she's being thought of, she's not going to come back. Right. She's going to be like. No, I don't want to go there. Mm -hmm. And do you actually really care that much to to say either way? No, I would say the same thing to my husband. If my husband was like, I don't want to go there, I'd be like, oh, okay, I won't, we don't have to go there. So, you know, I, and so that's where it comes back to the venue itself. It was all about how do I want me people to feel when they walk in the space? How do I want them to remember us? And so that when they when they think of downtown Phoenix, they think of Greenwood Brewing and be like, oh, let's start there. Let's meet there. Let's have a beer there. And that it's not just kind of, they, it's not a forgettable experience, mm -hmm. but it's a memorable experience. So um, I think we've established that you nailed the atmosphere. <laughs> but something that really interests me is your background in the actual creation of the product. And I think that that is super interesting because um, I think that atmosphere, service, and product are like the trifecta in food and hospitality. And I feel like you have uh, a really wonderful product. So how how did you go about that process? Was it really just like a hobby for a long time? Or when did you start getting serious about producing it as a product? Um, yeah, I would just love to hear about your, your journey learning to make the product and why you enjoyed making it so much in the first place. Yeah. So I'm, I am the type of engineer that I am is an industrial engineer. It's process manufacturing. And I love that part. I, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of a masculine degree, to be honest, because you're around a lot of, a lot of really big machines and you have to make sure that the process is flowing properly. And, but there's a finesse and kind of an art to it. 
And so I think that is what I love is the process. I love building like we I designed the space and we it's a, one of the smallest, probably the smallest breweries in the country. It's 1100 square feet and we yield 100 we can ha, we can um we can brew 100 barrels at a time in the space, but so it's very small and very efficient, which is exactly what I've learned to do. Um, and so we designed that whole brewery and built the building around it. Like it was, we had inches to spare when we were bringing in our equipment. That is what was really exciting to me was building the space, building and designing the space. And now it's the process flow because we could have the best ingredients. We could have the best brewer, but we have to also have the best flow, process, equipment, everything. Um, the actual the actual recipes were from my homebrew days, and it was mostly putting our thumb in the air and just kind of guessing and then coming out with the beer, and we were like, damn, that's good. <laughs> you know, and that's kind of where the, the some of our recipes came from. Um, it was trial and error. So we would, uh, we would have, so when it was in my garage, we used these things called carboys. They're big glass containers. And so we would have five of them at the end or four of them at the end of each batch. And so each batch, we would make four different beers to just, just total tiny changes to the beer. Oh, same recipe. Same recipe. Yes. Cool. So that you could see, okay, if I added this yeast, how does it taste for a brown ale? If I added, if we added one of them was, which is continues to be one of our best selling beers is our rose is a rosemary IPA. And when we did, when I did that in my, we did a backyard series. So my backyard, I had rosemary, I had thyme. Um, we had a couple other herbs. And so we put our, all of our herbs in and rosemary was the best one. And that continues to be one of my favorite beers that I brew. Um, and so there was just every time we had a batch of beer, we could, we could change it up four in, in increments of four. And so then we got the best, we took away the best recipe and then did the same thing again. So then, and it was nice because it was, we weren't using 10 barrels of beer. I was using 30 gallons of beer, five gallons of beer. So if it was bad, it was five gallons of beer that was bad. And we were in our twenties and didn't care, you know, <laughs> so we'd still drink it. Um, but it, but now it's, um, now it's, it's really refined a lot of the beer that we make. So the Her Story is um, from that time period and with some variations after I started brewing it commercially and then the rosemary um, and then our harvest diem, which is our fall beer, which has a honey sugar cinnamon rim. Um, that was also a beer that we thought of uh, some of the recipe came from there. My wife loved that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's amazing. It's got like, you know, like a margarita has like a dipped salt rim, yeah. but it's honey cinnamon, yes. oh, which really doesn't sound like it would work with beer. But then when you get like all those flavors together, it works very well. And it has that perfect like fall atmosphere kind of thing going on. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. It literally tastes like fall. It I does. think it's a delicious beer. How so. many beer types do you guys sell right now? Uh, we have, I think we have like, 12 beers on the okay. menu wow. um, and we rotate through. So I hired the best brewer though. So my brewer is exactly 
which I want to talk about your dynamic, your two dynamic, <laughs> because my brewer is ex- the exact opposite of me. And I think so high level and I'll come to a meeting and I'll be like, we're going to do this, 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 and this. And they're like huge goals. And my team has to be like, that's impossible, Megan. We can't do that. You have to bring it down. And so they, my, my brewer is like the exact opposite of me. And she's like, realistically, no, we can't do that, but we can do this. And she is super detail oriented in terms of the actual product. So our beer has never been better. Our Her Story, our flagship beer has never been better. And it's, and she is meticulous, just meticulous and in cleanliness in her, her entire brewing process. It's, she is the perfect brewer where I would be more high level and like, okay, we need to do this. It needs to be within this range. She's like, no, it was last week. It was this. So this week it needs to be this. And you know, it's, she's very meticulous, which, um, was the perfect match. And so she's actually introduced a a lot of the recipes that we have, um, which have been really fun and so tasty. How did you get to know her? I met her through a women's group called the Pink Boots Society. Okay. And she was at one meeting throughout my entire time I was there and it was the perfect meeting and I've courted her ever since (laughs) uh, and just continued to stay in touch. Like, I promise you, Greenwood Brewing is going to happen. It's going to happen. And I want you to join our team. Like, it's going to happen. Because it took two and a half years to build it. So, um, and she was willing to take the leap and come to a startup and be our head brewer. Um, she originally uh, started as uh, in the cellar, uh, which means that you do, you don't brew, you do everything else. And um, she was a bartender her brothers were brewers and they were like hey you should try brewing and she was gonna go be a waitress i think she's gonna move and be a waitress somewhere and they were like why don't you just try to be in the cellar or something and so she started at the bottom and then went and got formally trained on brewing in germany uh came back to the states and um she worked for santan for as a production brewer for two and a half years three years and um, then she joined our team as our head brewer. So she creates our recipes. We sit down together and plan what we want to make. And But she's fantastic. She's great. That's cool. Have you had any like business or personal mentors that have helped you along the way from like when you started to where you are now? Or was it mostly just you running? I, I have had mentors. Um, my mom is definitely one. She, she had a... So I, I'm, I'm from Iowa and we, I grew up, my parents, um, my mom owned a grocery store, uh, called Greenwood's Grocery, which is kind of where the Greenwood <laughs> continues. Um, and it was my grandfather's grocery store that she took over, um, my grandfather Greenwood side. So it's kind of an interesting dynamic that the, you know, daughter-in-law took over the business. Um, and so she... Was, has been my mentor a lot. So before I quit my job, I had to get her to be like, okay, I think it's time to quit your job. I mean, and that was just the, the my mentor saying, okay, yeah, it's time. 
maybe it's time. And then it was like, oh, cool. Okay, I'm going to quit my job tomorrow. This is happening. (laughs) Um, So um, I would say for sure her. And then I have a couple, I had met a couple coaches in Phoenix that I never really was on the coaching train. Mm -hmm. And then I met two that were awesome and so well-intentioned and weren't just like, I want you to spend a thousand dollars a month with me, but they were like, Hey, spend a hundred dollars a month or spend a hundred dollars and let's get through some, like, let's figure out what you need. And, um, so Olenka Cullinan was one of them. Um, and Brianna beverage was another coach. She was the one who told me, Megan, you need to make beer. Um, and then Olenka, she, um, she owns a company called I start first and she, um, she really made me realize you just got to do it. You just got to do it. You got to sell. That's what she was all about. You just got to sell. Like when I was contract brewing, I was like, it was right when I was about to launch our, our, our first beer. And it was, we were launching on women's international women's day in March 8th. So I had met a a contract brewery in the the year prior, like the November, we launched our first beer in December, 2017, a her story. And then I had three months to negotiate a contract and launch a beer. And so, and we literally signed the contract on my way to launching this first beer. And I had that January, I met with, I met Alenka or that December I met Alenka and she was like, just take my course. It's a hundred bucks, you know, nothing. It's not that's, and she's like, I swear you will get something out of it. And it was so great. She was like, and it was just that person that was like, get your ass moving, <laughs> like go out there, hustle, stop worrying about it being perfect. Stop worrying about the the perfect logo or the perfect business card or the perfect p- pitch or whatever. Get that ugly couch yeah. <laughs> from Craigslist, right? yeah. you know, like you guys get that and just do it and make a sale. You have to start selling. I yeah. feel like so many business owners get stuck right in that stage it's the perfect message like when you were when you were describing doing so much market research like i i just imagine that that could cause a lot of people like gridlock where they start getting maybe like negative feedback about their idea or as they try to validate a thesis like it is it in getting the reception that they wanted and and you can end up stopped and stuck and as you're describing all those assets and organizational things like a logo a website an llc None of it matters. If you have customers, you have a business. Mm-hmm. Exactly. If you yeah. have an LLC, you can pay taxes. Correct. But if you have customers, you have a business. It doesn't. None of the other stuff matters. You have to just sell, like she right. was saying. It's the perfect advice. And so many yeah. people, I'm just like, when, when I when I see that like uh, spark in someone, I, I think that same thing. Like, I hope they can just go find some customers and just not like worry about all that other stuff. Exactly. Yeah, so you should have seen us fumbling through how to come up with the name Motion Tactic because Tyler and I didn't have a strong preference. We didn't know. We didn't. Neither of us said the agency needs to be called this, right? And so, I, I think you you were kind of kind of doing some name combinations with K and T. And oh, we were working out everything we every, could. Everything we could. So, like to that end, like what Kyle is describing is like neither of us are caught up in the details enough to get stuck and it's almost like we're just failing forward but Mm -hmm. we just keep on moving Mm -hmm. and it just keeps on working because we 
I, I think like if you just think you can, you probably can and you just have to start trying. Um, and it's, it's really easy to just pick a thing like that, like naming your business and just be like, I don't know, it's not perfect yet. Do I want to tell people because first impressions are important and all that? Like, and you just kind of hold yourself back from ever doing anything. Totally. Yeah. Oh, totally. So weird too. This is a perfect example. Being on a podcast. The first time we did this, Kyle and I sat down and it was just him and I. And we tried to record our intro episode. And it was the most awkward, uncomfortable, like poorly spoken, stumbling over our words. We probably drank like five beers in the course of it. Trying to like progressively worse. It just got progressively worse. Someone gave us the idea that if you, you know, drink a beer ahead of time, you'll just be a little less nervous, but five is not the right, it's not the right ingredients for a successful <laughs> yeah. podcast. So, so we ended up t- tossing it, but then we did it again and then it got a little bit better. Yeah. And then, you know, on the like the third one we were just like this is what we do now. Yeah. We do a podcast. It's natural. And it's it's like that with everything. It's like you know, the first time you sit down to try to meet with a a customer, um you're so nervous. Your your pits are sweaty, your palms are sweaty, your legs are shaking, and you're like trying to pitch your business. And then the third time you do it, you're like, oh yeah, I sell websites. Yeah, like it's not that big a deal. I just sell websites. Yeah. And it's so funny being on the other side of that sometimes. You're like, I wanted to do that, and now I do. Yes. But it's just through, literally, just like, it's like just walking to the end of the diving board and just being like, I gotta jump. Yes. There's nothing else to do here. I have to jump, <laughs> yes, or I'm never true. going to reach my goal. That's mm-hmm. true. That moment where you're like, like I've gone um, cliff diving a couple times, oh, wow. and and uh, I mean, I'm not very extreme. I'm talking about like ten foot cliff diving over at Canyon Lake. That's pretty cool. Though. And when you're standing at the edge, you're like, ah, should I do this? Should I do this? And if you don't, just literally just jump. Like, you'll never have that experience. Yeah. Um, for sure. Sorry, I didn't mean to, mean no. to make this a motivational yeah. message. No, that's great. That's <laughs> perfect. It's true. Three, two, one. Yeah. Just jump. Yeah. And I mean, mm-hmm. for us, like we got together and we didn't like what we were doing at the time. So we got together like, maybe we should start a business. And then we're like, let's do it. And then it just started. We, didn't, we just went for it. Like I'd met with some people that I knew and we got a couple crappy jobs and then we just kind of just kept doing it. That's so Like cool. just showing up and, and having consistency is really what it takes. Like, oh, like yeah. what you're describing. Persistence. Yeah, persistence. You know, that's yeah. that's it. I mean, action, taking yeah. action. Because mm-hmm. you, could, you could have a business all you want. Like you were saying, an LLC and you can pay taxes, but you you have to stay persistent and just keep going. I mean, I had legs shaking, sweaty pits probably for the first 30 <laughs> customers. <laughs> um, I mean, it was, you know, it, even now sometimes I, I even now I'm nervous going into some of those accounts. Um, but uh yeah, I I think kind of going back to when you were saying about the the market research I had one question that was, and all of my survey respondents were women. Half of them knew what I was trying to do and, or like knew that this was my survey. So like, she's got to be doing something with it. And, um, they, it was like 90%. So there was a question that was asking, how do you decide the beer that you buy out at a restaurant and out at a store and there were 10 options and nine of 10 on both questions were if it was made by a woman. So like it was one of the last answers, like one of the last 
choices they picked. And I was like, and that was like, oh crap, you know, is this going to, is this like totally against now? Is that something that was totally against me starting? And it was like, you know what? It could have just been a bad question. I'm going to keep going. We have to keep moving forward. And once I came to the customer base, once somebody was willing to buy it, that's when I knew that it was actually validated, that customer. You know, so like you kind of had to get through to the customer part, going back to what you were both just saying about once you have customers, you're actually a business. And that's. Yep. So, oh, okay. So there's a part of your story that you shared um, in our pre-meeting that you haven't touched on much yet. So you mentioned to me that you had customers um, through distribution mm-hmm. before you opened up the brewery. Correct. Can you tell us a little bit about that stage of the journey? Yes. So when I started, I knew that I needed, I talked to a banker. This is how it all started. I talked to a ba- spoke to a banker and I was like, okay, I want to start a brewery. I need probably close to a million dollars to start a brewery. She's like, oh, that's such a cute idea. (laughs) (laughs) That's so cute. Um, You need a proof of concept and you also need money. So go do those things and come back and talk to me. So that's exactly what I did. I went and I started a proof of concept. With beer, with what you do, there's like no overhead, maybe some software, you know, not at the beginning, you know, you yeah. can just jump in and sell a website because yeah. you have it was the tools. Just my time. Yes. Right. It was your time. That was the major input. Exactly. For a brewery, uh, you have to have a product. You also have to legally be able to sell it. So I couldn't just out of my garage, sell that beer. That was illegal. So I had to come up with a solution somehow to sell beer and, it's almost impossible to do that without a built-out brewery. So you're going in this circle. Yeah. Um, so that's where I was like, okay, I'm going to go talk to as many people as I can. I formed this company. That company I was doing the marketing with was called The Elegant Beer Drinker, which would have been a terrible brewery name. <laughs> um, but it was that same thing. I hated the name, but I was like, it's fine. I, so it was like, Megan, I'll never forget my first meeting. Megan with the elegant beer drinker on my name tag. And um, and it, I went to a Pink Boots Society meeting, a women's brewery meeting. And I met this. I was like, all my all my goal is is to find a brewery that has excess capacity, open fermenters that are. And so that's what my only question was for the next, you know, for however long it took me. And that first meeting, I met a woman and she worked at a tap room for a brewery in Peoria. And I asked her if they had any access, any open fermenters. And she's like, oh yeah, we always have open fermenters. And so I was like, awesome. That means you have too much capacity. You need to sell something in there. So great. I'm a, So I reached out to the owners. They were like, sure, let's try it. Go ahead. And I was like, which was crazy to me. I mean, they had, you know, their million dollar brewery that they were like, yeah, let's just you can go use it. Come <laughs> come on in, which was so awesome. Um, so that was my only way. That's how I kind of slid into this into into this industry. And so I was able to brew on their system um, under Greenwood Brewing. And my only goal was to get beer into the hands of consumers and see if they liked it. Did they like the concept? Did they like the fact that I was a woman? Did they like the, did that even matter? 
Um, and so I, that's kind of, and so I, um, my first two and a half years before we were open was strictly distribution, meaning I was brewing. It was going to a, a delivery location, which I first started delivering the cakes myself, which was a disaster um, out of my, like the back of my truck, literally. <laughs> um, and uh, I would take it to a delivery place and they would deliver to my to my customers. So I had a full-time job and I'd come home and I would full-time sell. So it would, I'd go to these different um, restaurants and bars and sell my product. And so we got into Pita Jungles, Culinary Dropout, Akatio, all the whining pigs. Like we were in, and we hadn't even, we didn't even have a brewery. I didn't even have a brewery yet. But what I found was like one of my customers, when I, I think it was when I was reaching out to Pita Jungle, they were like, we just, just built our menus. There's no space here. Right. And I was like, I'm a, I'm a woman-owned brewing company and all the beer is brewed by women. And I was one of one, you know, like it, I was, you know, like yeah. brewed by a woman because that was me. And, um, and they were like, okay, I'll give you 10 minutes on, on Friday. And so I ended up making, building, like literally going to a print shop and there was a little spark part on their menu that was just a picture of a wine glass. So I made a little... Greenwood Brewing, her story, brew on tap that fit right over that little wine glass that we literally taped into every single oh. one of their menus at Peter Jungle <laughs> to get on their menu. And that is what, like, that's how it worked. You know, you're just hustling, hustling. And um, that is so scrappy. It was very wow. scrappy. And so we got on their menu. And the reason, I mean, it was a unique, it's a unique story just because there's so few we're like the only women only owned brewing company in Arizona. It's, there's, it's so, so, so few. And self-funded too is also very, very rare. And um, so anyway, so that, yes, I, so it started as distribution. So that's one model. And then the other model is obviously our on-premise brewery, which now we have our on-premise brewery. So my goal was to get distribution to a point where once we open our brewery, it's, we're smooth sailing that we already have a customer base. And so if if we don't sell a single beer over our counter, we still have our distribution to follow like to fall back on. And um that's so wonderful. Yeah, it it was wonderful in theory until 2020 happened. Yeah. And then literally every single one of those distribution customers went to zero overnight. Wow. You know, because everybody was shut down. Mm -hmm. So that whole, so in, and the whole business actually ended up flip-flopping where all of my business was now on premise. But in theory, it was the perfect model. <laughs> it was the way that we were going to succeed no matter, no matter which, which, which direction the business ended up taking. Yeah. But it's kind of like, that was like your, your insurance. And now like it's, it's flip-flopped, but you still had multiple, revenue streams or mm -hmm. opportunities to create revenue so it's really cool that you had a little bit of diversification there right because revenue concentration is you know it's an easy way to to fail i mean because you can't predict some things right so and it's, it's really interesting it's a totally i mean and that's where you know you think back about getting about starting a business and you're you're like i gotta make money in any way that i can mm -hmm. i'm gonna take any customer i'm gonna you know whatever um, and when we were, and with the distribution, um, 
I mean, that was that was really the goal was just to get into as many as many locations as possible. Um, yeah. And now I, it's kind of sad now because a lot of those places aren't even in business anymore. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I hope I'm predicting the future for you that all the customers coming into your your brewery will start asking stores and restaurants if you're on tap. Totally. And and because you're still getting traction in this other category, that the other thing can can blossom later. Yeah, for sure. And I, that's the one thing that I ask people to do. Ask, like, yeah. <laughs> just ask Go for to it. Go jungle. And ask. It, what, what's it like trying to get your beer into like a grocery store? Because that sounds really complicated. Yeah. So, and that is, so that's a totally, so typically you don't start a brewery with 75 locations already having your beer on tap. Mm -hmm. That's actually unheard of. There are breweries that have been in business for five years that don't have that. And that's what we did, which was really cool to say. And 75 locations doesn't sound like that much, but it was a lot for me. Excuse me. It was a lot for us. Uh, The opposite side, the flip side of that is, do you even have enough capacity? So, and what is your future goals? Getting to your third topic. Yeah. So, if with our with Greenwood Brewing, if my goal of uh, my goal for the business is eventually to be mostly to be in grocery stores, to be a distribution model brewery, and what I love about our model is, I started as a contract brewer. I understand. I also worked in sustainability and renewable energy for 10 years. So I also, I love, I, and I think a lot of people in our generation are like, it's important. It's like one of the top five most important parts of deciding who you're going to work for is like one question they always ask is, do you have a sustainability program or like what, how are you thinking about the environment? And, um, so for, for my future, for the future of Greenwood, I love about this contract brewing is that you could regionally brew and distribute with all local local um, personnel, local employees, regionally located. So you could distribute sustainably instead of having one humongous facility in Phoenix and shipping all over the country. Oh, reducing emissions. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. You could um, you could brew smaller batches with other people who might need that extra money. So like you could, you're also helping other businesses succeed. There is it's like it's like literally the best model for sustainability. You're using existing equipment instead of buying new. Um, and we started that way. So to be able to just take that model and go okay, I think we want us, let's try to do something in Wisconsin or whatever. You know, we could go to a brewery that might not, might not be doing that well, that just needs a little extra revenue. And as long as it's making us money and is making them money, great, wow. beautiful. And, um, and so that's what I ultimately would love to do is to have our beer nationwide. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's where even Greenwood Brewing, where it came, where it came down to picking that name, which my marketing, the marketing company that I hired originally, they were like, you need to go with your last name. 
Um, I also love it because all of the big beer names are all the last names of men from Ireland and England and overseas that came and established these massive beer companies, Anheuser, Bush, Budweiser, Schlitz, Paps, you know, all those, they're, they're all their last names. And I think it's kind of a cool, just a tip of the hat as a woman and building this beer empire <laughs> someday that's competing with those big beer names and it's my last name. I think that's pretty badass. You're kind of like putting yourself on the the Mount Rushmore of big brewery names. That's <laughs> yeah. really cool. I get it. And I, sustainably, yeah. you know, and like still keeping a regional, you know, all that. Yeah. Rad. Maybe you can help answer this question for me. So why do so many microbreweries sell out? Like, why do they sell to like... Oh, to there's a lot of them that do that, <laughs> yeah. right? Is it because mm-hmm. is it purely because of distribution they want to, or do they just want to cash out, or why you do know, you think, why do you think that is? I thought I had no idea until we launched this year, and I was like, I get it. Mm. Um, I'm sure that I don't know if if you've thought this yourselves. Um, just business ownership in general, it's like holy crap, I, am I going to have to do this my whole life, hustle this hard my whole life, work 16-hour days my whole life? And um, it's probably just to get out of the grind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I And I, I can totally appreciate that now, mm-hmm. where before I was like, oh, they're selling out. You know, that's mm-hmm. too bad. And it still is like that. It's, I still feel that way. But it's probably just the only exit plan you have, yeah. unless you want to keep it going forever. Um, you're either going to close or you're going to sell and hopefully you sell, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's like any, even your company, you know, that's an exit strategy that you have to think about is what do we do? Do we have our kids inherit this or mm-hmm. do we want to sell to another company? You know, everybody has to ha- have that, make that decision, but in beer, it's a very loud decision. Yeah. It's a very loud that's decision. That's really interesting. So, um, I want to dive into one last topic. Um, because I, I think you're passionate about this area. So let's talk about your team and talk yeah. about how you're managing culture. And um, and I think that uh, the world is in a weird place, right, with COVID. And, like, you opened a brewery in the middle of this totally, like, um, anti-retail, anti-food time. Um, it's probably the most hostile time that's ever existed towards restaurants at least in my life so yeah what are you doing to like motivate your team and keep them interested and um yeah girl culture i mean like that's we all have to think about that we could have the best marketing product i might listen to this on some of the podcasts that it's like how does a company fail sometimes it's internal sometimes it's the leadership excuse me and that's a very, very real problem when you are starting a business is how am I going to foster an environment that is the culture I envision for this for this brand, for this business, for my people? How do I make them, how do I, how do I keep them feeling like they want to come and show up every day, their best selves every day? Because in the end, we're all spending our lives together. So 
I don't, and if you have somebody on your team that is not happy, we all know how that goes. And so I really, really believe in, in creating an just kind of a, just a block wall foundation of a, of a culture internally before we move, before we even think about external. Excuse me. And so what I mean is when I was in corporate America, one of the reasons why I left was I was in a meeting. I don't know if I talked to I I told you this. Okay, this was something that I realized after the fact. But I was in the meeting and I um, was with 12 other people. And it was a mentor of ours. He was one of Excuse me. Yeah, take a minute. Take a <clears throat> Excuse me. drink of water. Yeah. We end up talking. I mean, you and the guest end up talking for a, a good lot. like 55 minutes <laughs> I think I've said like it's, 200 words this yeah, entire night. It's tough, so we get it. No, thank you. Um, So the it was a high-level a high level VP or something, and he was motivating us all, you know, getting us all pumped up as new people. And, oh my gosh, sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> um, And so he... He was like, okay, what is the most important part of this business? Like, what is most important to us? And everyone was like, to, to the company. And everyone was like, oh, the people, the, the quality, the product, the customers, you know, all these things that are like really important, the price, whatever. And he was like, no, none of those things. It's like maximizing shareholder value is the most important part of our day. I was like, what? I think I'm about to write that down to remember it. Um, and I just remember from then on, it was, it was, uh, this isn't the right place for me. And so instead, so, and that was just a total reality check personally too. And growing a business and growing a team is okay. If I want customers to be really important, we all want customers to be really important. How do I do that in the best way possible? I make customers number one somewhere. Where do I put that? Well, who interacts with my customers? My team. I do too, but my team interacts with customers. So that should be number one for them. So number one for my team is customer service. Always, always customer service. What does that mean for me? What does that mean for our business? Which a lot of the times are one and the same. Right. So, well, that means that my team is my number one, you know, and you can feel that when you, when you go into a place and your their team is their number one, mm-hmm. you can feel it and the team can feel it. And so it's always, okay, this is our policy. This is our protocol. This is all these things. But all, also at the end of the day, if you're not being respected, you need to do something about that with your customer because I will have your back first. You obviously take care of our customers. If they aren't doing the, what what they need to do for you and they're disrespecting you, I will have you your back because you are my number one. Your custom, Our customers are your number one. And it's created this group of people that I think love coming to work love and just want to be engaged and they all want to do more and they all want they all love our brand pillars and our mission and our everything and it's just created and so i really believe in having your employees come first 
Because a lot of the times, if there's an issue happening, it could just as much be your fault as it is their fault. Um, And most of the time, it's just miscommunication. Because in the end of the day, I do believe people just want to be good. Like they want to do good. Um, and so, and, and so we, if, if we're having a problem, it's most likely because I may be doing something wrong or I didn't communicate properly. Um, and so I, I, I love talking about our team or like creating and creating a good culture. Our, I, I truly believe in brand pillars and having brand pillars. And we kind of talked about, um, this, but our brand pillars are empowerment, confidence, and inclusivity, and they have made decisions for me through and through uh, a lot of the time. Like if if I have a question, should we do this? Should we not do this? If I go back and think about my brand pillars, is it inclusive? Yes. Is it Does it in, instill confidence? Yes. Is it empowering? Yes. Okay, great. Move forward. If it's not one of those three, it's tossed. And that is something that it seems so silly and so co- like corporate, but it is, it has literally made decisions for me. Yeah. When you, I mean, you're, you're just creating like easy ways to align your team and align your decision making. And it makes a lot of sense. That's something that we've actually had. I mean, we did a lot of things in reverse. Yeah. It seems like we didn't you, have core values until like a month ago. You have done <laughs> such a good job of like thinking about the the needs you're going to have later and having an answer to some of these big questions like who's my customer what values can my team rally around like those are really powerful concepts that we had to figure out later because we were just like how do we quit our jobs and take this full time as our first step so we had to go through this process uh, and we're still in it defining our customer and defining what our our core values are as an organization Um, and we're feeling the the power of those investments. The more we invest into those areas of like improvement, the more alignment we get from our team. The more clear it is when a customer is a right fit or a wrong fit. It makes decision making a lot easier even when you're hiring, when you're bringing on a new client, where you treat your team, what your expectations of them are. Yeah, it just provides so much more clarity. And I'm also kind of like a, like an anti-corporate, like, you know, like screw the establishment kind of person. So when we talk about doing stuff like this, I like for a long time was like, Mm-mm, no, 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 no. Our core values are whatever we need them to be that day. Like, let's just figure it out. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah man, I'm the same way too. Yeah, we, yeah, just, we just, just roll so fast. We just fast. keep going, yeah. <clears throat> but I've realized though that that doesn't scale. Right. Like if you can't take the time to articulate these things, how can you expect employees to, um, not that they would act in any way unethically or whatever, but how can you expect them to act in ways that represent your organization's values and support the the long-term um, progress in the direction you're trying to accomplish? Exactly. Right? Like, yeah. Those- I mean, we're not even in charge of hiring. I mean, we're in a sense, we're in charge of hiring, but we have somebody that manages the whole hiring process. So- it's she has to make sure that the candidate is in alignment with our core values. And so if they're not stated and we've done right. this many times, we've brought in the wrong people with the wrong skill set and it hasn't worked out. Yeah. And it, we're doing a disservice to both parties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to that end, if we want someone else to hire people that represent our values, it has to be very cl- clearly documented. Right. Right. Like, so yeah, those are those growth things that we've been bass backwards about. Like yeah. we uh, we're in it. 
and we're doing it wrong. Now we need to go back and create a, like building a foundation underneath us. Right. Which is okay. You know, in the future, no one will know the difference. That's the goal. It, you know what I mean? <laughs> but it, but it's so true. How do you get people to to continue to believe in your company? And not just that it's a startup and that it's not it, that it's that it's a startup that's going somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, that's actually you can believe in us and trust us because we have all these things in place. And yep. it also is just it just makes decision making so much easier if you um you know if you have your core values and somebody doesn't doesn't meet them that's very easy to say i'm sorry it's it's not it's not going to work for both of us and it quickly eliminates that that decision Mm -hmm. or like that whatever the person the vendor the customer whatever Mm -hmm. um it seems it seems so corporate it seems like so old, like, but it's, it is so, I think it's so important. And I definitely know, I know that I've had our, our team. I like, I get so, I've, I feel so lucky because our people are so cool and are, they're so good. And, you know, when you're starting and you're one of one or two of two, you know, and you're like, you're hustling and you're just, you're doing every job and you're just trying to survive and buy groceries, which I still am just trying to survive and buy groceries, by the way. Um, but you, you are, you kind of forget that you are going to have a team of people that are not just going to rally behind you, but they're going to fight for your business. You're, they're going to fight for what you created. They're going to talk to somebody and someone's going to say something about your company and they're going to be like, it's awesome. It's awesome to work for this company. Like you created that. And I did not even think about that part. And it's so fun. It's, it's just this like mesmerizing thing where it's like, wow, we created this from nothing. There was nothing here. It was physically, there was a parking lot. There was nothing here. (laughs) And also there wasn't this business. There wasn't this mission, this vision this energy was not here before now there wasn't this job there weren't 13 people that had jobs in this you know all of these things and you're like wow and you think back and you're like but that was something that was a total surprise was the team part that was like this is pretty cool this is pretty cool it is it is probably one of the most enriching experiences of my life being able to work with these people and um yeah i think everything you're hinting to is just like it's all about people, right? And uh, the relationships we're building with our staff and with our customers. Um, yeah, it's, all, it's been very fulfilling for us. Totally. It sounds like it has for you too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, definitely. Yeah. Top, yeah. Yes. So in ways that I didn't ever imagine or wouldn't have thought about before. Yeah. Well, awesome. we Love have it. been recording. For over an hour. <laughs> yeah, so I figured I... <laughs> let's give the audience um, a little bit of information about where they can find you, yeah. uh, where they can connect with you online, and uh, and what beer you recommend. Awesome. I can do that. So you can find us on 5th Street in Roosevelt in downtown Phoenix. You can also find out us at a local restaurant or bar near you. Just ask for us. Don't forget. <laughs> um, and uh, 
I you can find us at in, on Instagram at Greenwood Brewing and on Facebook at Greenwood Brewing. That's probably where we're where we are most active. And my recommended beer is going to be the Her Story because it is our flagship and is my longtime love of a beer. And it's had so many renditions and it's just delicious and uh, one of my favorite beers of all time. So I would recommend that. Awesome. Well, we're very proud to have you on the podcast. We appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Megan.